Thank you for joining me for the Coal Mine Podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas, and it's May 2023. A majority of abortions in the United States today are done with medication, and the drug mefepristone is commonly used as one such medication. Today, I take a look at Alliance of Hippocratic Medicine versus U.S. Food and Drug Administration, a federal court case from Amarillo, Texas, now before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, that presents a legal challenge to the FDA's approval of mefepristone. In particular, I examine what it means in this case to view the issues from a conservative perspective, and the perspective of a conservative judge in particular. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit sits in New Orleans, a city built on a tangled crossroads of history and culture. That location sets an appropriate stage for appeal of the medication abortion case, Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine versus U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The case is set for oral argument before a panel of three judges in the Fifth Circuit on May 17th. The issues in this case force the Fifth Circuit's judges, both on that panel and on the full en banc court, to confront what it means to be a judicial conservative in contrast to a political one. On April 7th of this year, U.S. District Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, who sits in Amarillo, Texas, held that the Food and Drug Administration erred in how it approved mefepristone, which is one of the two drugs widely used together for a medication abortion, going back to the initial approval of the medicine in the year 2000. Judge Kaczmarek issued a stay that would compel the FDA to suspend its longstanding approval of the drug. His order was in turn stayed by the United States Supreme Court until the Fifth Circuit considers the merits of Judge Kaczmarek's orders through the appeal process. Because the majority of abortions in the United States are induced using mifepristone, his ruling has enormous practical impact, rivaling even the overruling of Roe v. Wade almost a year ago. And the appeal of this ruling forces a choice between two concepts of what it means to be conservative. Putting it broadly, a political conservative is one who favors certain policy results, and a judicial conservative is one who favors a particular process for making judicial decisions. In this setting, political conservatism dislikes abortion and favors policies that limit access to it. Political conservatives see such policies as consistent with a commitment to traditional values and the sanctity of life, and they also prefer to see such matters handled at the state rather than the federal level. In contrast, judicial conservatism is process-based and is skeptical of activism by judges that goes beyond the limited role of interpreting laws enacted by other branches of government. Judicial conservatives see such activity as undermining the Constitution's separation of powers and potentially risking backlash by Congress that might limit federal court jurisdiction or otherwise significantly restructure the judiciary. The Fifth Circuit has seen substantial abortion cases in recent years, but neither Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health after remand from the Supreme Court last year, nor the litigation about the constitutionality of the law called SB8, Texas sometimes called bounty hunter law that targets abortion providers with civil penalties, neither of those cases presented tension between these ideas. Both of those cases, a politically conservative outcome, reduced abortion access, both reinforced and was reinforced by a judicially conservative approach, federal court deference to laws duly enacted by state legislatures. This abortion medication case presents a different situation. 
As a policy matter, Judge Kaczmarek's ruling plainly reduces the availability of abortion. But unlike the Dobbs case and the SB8 litigation, this case requires a procedural decision about the plaintiff's standing to bring the case in the first place. That decision brings political and judicial conservatism into direct conflict. No matter how strongly any judge may favor the politically conservative outcome of this ruling, that ruling can only be affirmed with an activist approach to standing. That is so because, put bluntly, the plaintiffs in this case are a motley crew. They are doctors who claim they may someday see a patient who took mefepristone and had a bad reaction, which they say is then traceable to a combination of the FDA's decision to approve the judge back in the year 2000 and the use of the U.S. Postal Service to mail mefepristone to doctors and patients. The law of standing ordinarily bars claims by plaintiffs who have only a speculative injury, and this case involves speculation combined with more speculation. That aspect of the case was highlighted just a few weeks ago when the case was briefly before a Fifth Circuit's motions panel to decide whether to impose an interim stay of Judge Kaczmarek's order during the appeal. A two-judge majority concluded that the plaintiff's claims in the case involving the original approval of mefepristone by the FDA in the year 2000 were likely time-barred, but other claims involving other actions about the drug in 2016 and 2021 were likely not time-barred. As to standing, the reasoning of the court was based largely on multiplication. It observed that the warning labels on mefepristone packaging say that a certain percentage of users will have side effects and multiplied out, reasoned the panel majority, those percentages mean that enough people would have side effects to affect the plaintiff's medical practices. That analysis highlights the problems with trying to base standing on statistics because that reasoning about the use of mefepristone generally does not readily tie to the decisions by FDA that were actually in play, according to the motions panel, in the remaining litigation. The merits briefing recently filed by the appellant Danko Corporation is more specific. It says, and I quote, The stay panel's calculation also bears no causal connection to FDA's 2016 or 2021 actions. The standing question at issue with respect to plaintiff's claims as to those actions is whether any plaintiff physician imminently faces being forced to provide a surgical abortion because of those FDA actions. There was no such showing, and the panel reached no such conclusion. Bottom line is this. If the Fifth Circuit accepts that these plaintiffs have standing to challenge the FDA's approval of mefepristone, it simply will not be engaging in judicial conservatism. It will be assertively expanding the role of the federal courts in overseeing the nation's health care system and, frankly, not to mention, its postal system. A private attorney general is a well-known concept, but this case presents something different and broader. The idea of a private postal inspector to enforce the morality code from decades ago that we now find codified in the Comstock Act. To be sure, many judges feel strongly about the matters at issue in this case, and they may well believe that the federal courts should address the plaintiff's concerns because of their importance, even if their theory of standing is somewhat dodgy. But the Supreme Court sounded a cautionary note about that way of thinking in a 2021 case called California v. Texas. A Texas district judge and a Fifth Circuit panel majority 
found that the plaintiffs had standing to challenge the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act, a law that political conservatives have had many criticisms of. The Supreme Court saw otherwise in a 7-2 decision holding that the plaintiffs had no standing because their alleged injury had no connection to any law that the government could actually enforce. California versus Texas is not an outlier. Recent coverage of the arguments to the court and the trial level in this case showed that plaintiffs' counsel had some difficulty answering questions about redressability. That's another similar standing doctrine that asks whether the requested relief will actually resolve the plaintiff's claimed injury. And it is particularly relevant in a case such as this one, where the plaintiff's standing is ultimately based on an assessment of some probabilities. Notably, the Supreme Court decided California versus Texas with the same ideological makeup that it has today. Outgoing Justice Stephen Breyer wrote the majority opinion, but Justice Amy Coney Barrett was already on the court. She joined his opinion, along with fellow conservatives Brett Kavanaugh and John Roberts, and Clarence Thomas concurred. I appreciate that the standing issue before the court in this case is analytically distinct from the precise issue that was presented in California versus Texas, but my point is more general, that the Dobbs-era Supreme Court is well aware of the judicial strand of conservative thought as well as the political, and it has reversed the Fifth Circuit on its assessment of such issues just in the last couple of years. And an interesting counterpoint to the motions panel and how its majority analyzed standing in the general briefing about standing in this case is ongoing decision-making in the Fifth Circuit about standing in other cases that don't touch on the hot-button topic of abortion. While Judge Kaczmarek was considering the abortion medication case this spring, a Fifth Circuit panel cited California versus Texas. It rejected a challenge by several states to the interim estimates of a government study about greenhouse emissions. It held that an agency's reliance on the interim estimates when crafting a future regulation is mere conjecture. As a result, those states had no standing to argue about them. And in April of this year, a case called Abdullah v. Paxton, the Fifth Circuit considered claims made by a former employee of Texas state government about potential future injuries that he claimed could result from a state law requiring certain retirement funds to divest from companies that boycott Israel. The court affirmed dismissal of his case on standing grounds. It summarized, Abdullah tries urging that the systems are underfunded so there is a credible threat the fund will fail. But we are unconvinced. This theory is simply too speculative and also ignores Texas's ability to obtain funds by taxes, fees, assessments, and so forth. We don't know who the three judges are on the panel that will hear the case on May 17th. Appellate litigators call this early stage of an appeal sometimes panel roulette. The court has a series of three-judge, randomly chosen panels lined up well in advance during the court term of any cases being scheduled, and the court clerk fills the docket in for those panels as cases come in and move to the argument stage of the appellate process. The names of the judges will be revealed to the public and the litigants in the week before the scheduled argument, even though behind the scenes the judges and their staff will have been working on the case for some time. As a result, it is truly luck of the draw what specific judges will participate in this case and thus what judicial philosophies may be brought to bear on these issues in the first instance. But the full en banc court will no doubt have its eyes on this case from inception. And even if the case is not formally taken for en banc review by the full court after the merits panel issues its opinion, 
Vigorous behind-the-scenes discussion among the judges on the full court is a certainty. In that discussion, as it has turned out to frequently be the case in significant en banc cases in the last few years, the voices of the court's centrists, Judge Leslie Southwick of Mississippi, Judge Katharina Haynes of Dallas, Texas, and Chief Judge Patricia Richmond of Austin, and their views on the interplay of political and judicial conservative are going to have particularly strong impact. The Fifth Circuit is well known as a conservative court. That court's resolution of the abortion medication case will signal what adjective, political or judicial, should precede that phrase. Unlike the controversial and high-profile merits of this case, the law about standing involves some abstract and technical principles and opinions that can frankly be kind of dull sometimes. But those principles are fundamental to the balance of power among the branches of government in our three-branch system, and a decision to give those principles short shrift so these plaintiffs can sue in this high-profile case risks having consequences far beyond this one dispute for many others. Today on Coal Mind, I look towards the upcoming oral arguments in the medication abortion case, presently scheduled before a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in their courthouse in New Orleans on May 17th of this year. Specifically, I looked at how the issues in this case force a choice between a politically conservative outcome, reduced abortion access, and a judicially conservative process of decision-making, given that the plaintiff's standing to bring this case rests on probabilities, a ground that has traditionally not been seen as sufficient to give someone the standing to bring a federal case. In upcoming episodes of Coal Mind, I'll be looking at new laws coming out of this session of our Texas legislature, as well as other intriguing lines of authority that are developing in the federal courts today across the country. If you like this episode, I encourage you to join other happy listeners and leave a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again soon.